Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 211 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Successful Delegation. Why is it so important? One of the most commonly asked questions we get here at Your CEO Mentor is, how can I delegate more effectively? Now, most leaders understand the concept pretty well, but then they really struggle to execute. There are any number of ways that delegation can go wrong, and even if it doesn't go spectacularly wrong, 
Unless you learn to optimize your delegation approach, you'll never get the most out of the people you're delegating the work to. You'll always struggle with the massive workload that poor delegation foists upon you, and it'll become a really bad habit when it doesn't need to be. Now, given that this is such a fundamental part of leadership, we've decided to dedicate our next free online training session to this subject. So at the end of this episode, I'm going to let you know how to register for that training. In the meantime, I want to use today's episode to tell you about my journey through the maze of delegation and how I learned from my mistakes how I could improve until I became expert in every aspect of delegation, knowing what to delegate, knowing how to delegate it, and knowing how to satisfy myself that the results would be delivered successfully without micromanaging my people. It saved me from an unsustainable workload and that feeling of overwhelm that I know so many leaders that I talk to suffer from. So that makes today's episode pretty simple. I'll spend the bulk of the episode talking to you about my path to delegation enlightenment. And then I'll let you know how you can get your hands on the tools and techniques that I've developed in our free training, which we'll be running next week. So let's get into it. Now I'm going to tell you a little story about my journey. Delegation doesn't come naturally to anyone, but particularly not to high performers. And it's especially difficult early on in your leadership career. You want to ensure high quality outcomes. You want to demonstrate your worth or show that your new promotion was justified. You want to have control. And as a leader of others, you're still in the position to have that control, at least to some extent. Of course, as you go up to higher level roles, with layers of leaders below you, this becomes less and less the case. So ironically, although your perfectionist streak may have helped you to win the promotion, it becomes a burden to you over time. As Marshall Goldsmith said, what got you to here won't get you to there. When I first started delegating work as a new team leader, I fell into an obvious trap almost immediately, and it quickly became a bad habit. I would delegate the task, but not the accountability. Now, I'd learned this from the leaders who I'd worked for. Hey, great people, right? But maybe not the best leadership role models. What I mean when I say that I'd delegate the task, but not the accountability, is that I didn't extricate myself from the actual work. I'd give my people the right tasks, but then I would hover over them. Maybe not in a micromanage sort of way, but in a way where I was always there to intervene quickly if a problem or question arose. Now, I was very inwardly focused on the team and on their individual tasks. And I had both the mental capacity and the work ethic to handle this pretty comfortably. So whenever anyone in the team had a question, I was right there to answer it for them. Whenever they had a tough decision to make, I was there to guide them through it. Which means I was there to effectively make it for them. If someone came to me with a problem, I saw it as my opportunity to demonstrate my own knowledge and expertise. I would reveal my elegant solution while they sat and marveled at my brilliance. (laughs) Hilarious, right? But it didn't seem to be the least bit unnatural or problematic. That's what I thought good leadership was. Until one day, it occurred to me that this wasn't working the way it should. Now, my epiphany came when the team started to give me some gentle ribbing about my delegation approach. We all got on really well and the dynamic between us was sort of relaxed and friendly. But more than one person started to drop in little jokes at my expense. 
They were telling me how awesome it was to work for me. Why? Because I solved all their problems and they didn't have to do any of the heavy lifting themselves. (laughs) Wow, that hit me like a pie in the face. I was taking accountability for solving their issues and making decisions on their behalf. If something went wrong, it wasn't their problem, it was mine. I was effectively taking their accountability on and giving them a free ride. So the results from my team were actually really good. I made myself feel good by satisfying my own ego need to show everyone how clever I was. They got to have a good time and work at a fraction of their capacity while still getting the accolades of a job well done. Talk about over-functioning for your people. As a leader of others, this obviously wasn't fatal. But I worked a lot harder than I needed to, and I didn't get the best out of my team. I was effectively creating an accountability vacuum for the individuals. I didn't leverage their talents. Instead, I took on an inappropriate workload myself, which at the time served my purposes perfectly. But I knew it wasn't sustainable. This clearly needed to change. And look, I'm a pretty fast learner, so I worked out how to solve this problem. And then I moved on to the second big mistake that I was doomed to repeat for a number of years. When I became a project manager, I had multiple layers of people below me. And by this stage, I'd worked out how to delegate both the task and the accountability. But this didn't entirely solve my problem. I fell into a thing I used to call management by Gantt chart. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, a Gantt chart is a project management tool. And it enables you to specify all the related tasks in a given project, allocate resources to them, and map the dependencies between them. It's just a scheduling tool. I used to make sure I had a comprehensive project schedule that was virtually flawless, on paper. Now, as we know, nothing works in the real world quite the way you imagine it will when you put it on paper. But I was pretty good at delegating by this stage, or so I thought. I assigned work to the right people. I made sure they had the resources they needed to successfully execute on their tasks, Their deadlines were reasonable, and I would settle back into tracking the tasks mode. I'd help people who came to me to solve their problems, sure, but it was basically a pretty passive approach. I've got to say, for a lot of people, this worked really, really well. Those people were the ones who were competent, confident, and capable. Given the quality of the plan and the clarity of the delegation I gave them, they would have delivered no matter what I did from that point on. But because I was divesting myself of any concern for whether or not a task got done properly, I effectively removed any useful oversight from the delegation process. I didn't inspect the outputs frequently enough to know whether everything was on track or not. See, simply looking at the project milestones wasn't enough. I was giving ultimate trust to every team member to deliver on their commitments. And this is fine for the people with high personal standards for performance, But trust has to come with some level of scrutiny. As Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. And I wasn't verifying. So the people who weren't as driven to deliver often just didn't. Now this was super weird. I couldn't believe that someone would be obviously going to miss a delivery deadline and not bother to actually say anything to me as their boss. How naive was I? Often, A deadline would pass and I'd follow it up with the individual only to hear, oh, 
Sorry, Marty, we didn't get that finished. Really? Did it ever occur to you that you might want to tell someone about it? Back in those days, though, I was way more tolerant of excuses. There were lots of dogs eating people's homework. So look, I understood what the problem was, but even when I tried to resolve it, it took me ages to work out how. I just started tightening the screws on everyone. So what did this look like? Well, I set up a weekly project meeting where all the team leaders would sit around a big table in a conference room. I would sit at the head of the table and go around the room to each individual in turn. All right, Chris, here's what you committed to delivering last week. Did you deliver it? If not, why not? When will it be delivered? Are you waiting on anything you don't have control over? If this milestone slips, how does it affect your overall delivery timeline? It was sort of brutal, but relatively effective, I guess. But I was reducing everyone to the lowest common denominator. And still, there were instances where people tried to hide slippages so that they weren't embarrassed in the meeting. It's just human nature, right? And I was still taking people's word for the fact that something had been completed. Key learning number two. Not everyone's going to tell you the truth. Now, one of the biggest problems with both of the approaches I've mentioned so far is that I was using a one-size-fits-all approach. And this is never going to get you where you need to go. One was too hands-on, the other was too hands-off. Sounds like there's going to be a just-right option coming, doesn't it? A Goldilocks and the Three Bears solution. But this isn't a fairy tale. And there are no easy answers. I started to think differently about this after being exposed to Hersey and Blanchard's situational leadership model as part of my MBA studies, which I did about 20 years ago. But I found this quite refreshing. The model, in its simplest form, dictates that you should adjust your leadership style based on the maturity and capability of your followers. And of course, every individual is different. So, The capability of the individual dictates how much support, how much encouragement, and how much direction you should give them. Your four rudimentary options are telling, selling, participating, and delegating. Okay, so now I was getting somewhere. Stay close to those that need more support, but let my top people roam free. Now once again, there are problems with this approach. While it's good in theory, when you implement a different approaches for different people model, you have to remember one really important thing. At some point, everyone has to be able to perform to a minimum acceptable standard. So the concept of having to tell or sell the work program to your people doesn't cut it in the long term. It may be required for the most immature or green of your people, but only for a point in time. You need to be looking for them to reach greater levels of independence quickly so that you can shift your style into participating and fully delegating. Combined with the right standard, though, the approach of leading each individual according to their needs and capability is a pretty good rule of thumb, as long as you remember these two things. The first is, the people who you can't just delegate work to will suck up most of your time because they can't perform their job independently without your constant input. And secondly, you should be spending 80% of your time with the top 20% of your people. That's where you're going to get the real payback in output, productivity, and value. 
As an executive, I had 20 years to refine my process for delegation. With many more layers below me and more leaders at different levels to think about, I became more sophisticated at using the delegation principles and tools. I had another big epiphany when I was introduced to the leadership pipeline work of Steve Drotter and Ram Charan. This work made it so clear what working at level truly was, and this unlocked some key insights in my head. I also got more exposure to the way delegation frameworks operate in large organisations. All authority ultimately rests with the board, and the delegation framework dictates what decisions can be made at various levels of management. Often, this is done by granting specific spending limits at different organisational levels and to different roles. I've had roles where I could make decisions with a financial impact of up to $100 million without reference to a CEO or board. But just because I could make a decision of that magnitude didn't necessarily mean I should make it. There are some things that you just don't want to have turn up in an audit report and have the board blindsided by them. And there are problems with this as well. Because these spending authorities rest with a role rather than with an individual, you've got to be careful who you let loose with what. Think of the individual maturity and capability differences that we spoke about in the situational leadership model. I remember once reviewing a list of delegations after I'd just taken on a new executive role. One of the individuals on the list, who I just happened to know from a previous life, caught my eye. He had the authority to make a spending decision of up to $100,000 based on the role he had. I called his boss in and said, Look, I know this person, and he's apparently authorised to spend up to $100,000 without reference to anyone above him. But knowing him as I do, I wouldn't trust him to go across the road and buy me a cup of coffee and bring back the correct change. (laughs) Now, delegation is clearly a difficult skill to master, as you can see from my many missteps over my career. But I'm pleased to say that through bitter experience, I became incredibly good at it. I learned to manage my workload and not lose my sanity, while still delivering exceptional results. And that's why I've put together our free training, Delegate Your Way to Freedom, How Leaders Can Steer Clear of Excessive Hours and Overwhelm. If you've attended any of my free training sessions before, you already know that you'll walk away from this training with practical strategies that you can genuinely implement straight away. I'm only running two sessions of this training, on the 22nd and 23rd of September, Australian time. So register now to make sure you don't miss out. Save your spot by going to bit.ly forward slash delegate 2022. That's bit.ly forward slash delegate 2022. I can't wait to see you there. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 211. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with another leader who you know is going to benefit from it and tell them about the free training. I look forward to next week's episode, Your Leadership Development Roadmap. Until then, I know you take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.